Hi, I'm Tim Rood, Head of Government and Industry Relations here at CITUS AMC. Welcome to the latest episode of On the Hill. My very special guest today is none other than John Bell, who is the Executive Director of Loan Guarantee Service for the Veterans Benefits Administration. John, thanks so much for joining us. Tim, thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it. That'll be fun, buddy. Hey, so just to see if I can do you, um, give you a quick bio for the for the listeners. So you you began serving as the executive director of the Loan Guarantee Service June of this year. You're responsible for delivering the VA home loan benefits to your fellow veterans, to which I would say, of course, thank you for your service. You have an extensive mortgage industry background, served in leadership roles with nationwide lenders for over 20 years or so, and you joined the VA in 2010. Um, looks like you were deputy director before you became the executive director, which was a role that I'm sure you're instrumental in delivering You know, a response to the COVID pandemic. And I believe before that, you were the assistant director where you were really leveraging your industry experience to initiate the loan guarantees transformation to better align with a fast-paced mortgage industry. How'd I do? Perfect. All right. Well, thanks again. Hey, so before we get started, I thought it was really interesting when we were chatting that you were a loan officer after you got out of the Navy. And I think at the time, even your wife was, well, she is one of the biggest loan officers in the country. So I'm trying to imagine this, that if you had both covered you know, the same territories when you first met, you'd probably still be single. And given that you're both still in the industry, what the heck are those conversations like, you know, happening at your house in this market these days? Yeah, no, w- wonderful question. So if you go back to, uh, I was, you know, in college thinking, hey, I've been in the, the military, I'm ready to make a little money and uh, answered a basically a uh, recruitment uh, on campus opportunity where, it was loan officer to management program at Transamerica Financial, uh, and little did I know that would that would literally basically scope out my my career uh, moving forward because that allowed me to to really come in and learn front to end. You know, with with financial services, you are actually putting on the loan, you are managing the account. And as a borrower needs you, you are continuing to service that 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 one account, and you know you're there to help them with mortgages and lo- and loans and all kinds of things. So I kind of learned the industry from that. And at the meantime, I I of course you know was was lucky enough to meet my wife, who at, at all already was a pretty uh, um, high producer. Um, in the mortgage business as a as an originator, and so it was kind of a um, funny story. I, I picked her up at the airport first time we had met, and I saw this beautiful lady coming down the escalator, and and uh, all of a sudden I I see her actually t- um, do a tumble, and you know she stayed on the phone, and she was you know all excited, and and uh, got right back up. You wouldn't even know she had fallen, and. Uh, Come to find out, she was actually on the loan with a borrower and 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 finished the deal. And uh, d- you know, from there on, I knew you know I wouldn't I wouldn't leave in this lady's side. Um, get kind of a funny story and 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 how my wife and I met. Pretty funny. That's commitment right there. Uh, hang on the phone if you're on with your borrower realtor. I, I'm sure that any loan officer in the market today can relate to that. You're 
you wouldn't hang up if somebody had a pistol at your head, I think, in this market. <laughs> well, I will tell you, it is. it certainly has brought us to some interesting conversations at home. And I think that was kind of where your uh, original question was was going. So, you know, certainly I I, I can't, if, if she's doing a VA loan, I certainly can't work on that particular VA loan. But we certainly have, I, w- I will say, have walked through a lot of hypotheses and scenarios <laughs> As not only when I'm when I'm at work, but as uh, when I come home, about you know what the ind- what she's seeing in in the industry, what are the issues that uh, that that are plaguing originators, and and really keeps me honest. I gotta imagine they're punctuated pretty often with "What are you dummies in Washington doing up here anyway, screwing up this market?" Yeah, I can neither confirm nor deny, <laughs> but, but, but certainly right. uh, there's probably a, a lot of that. <laughs> to, to spare your. Uh your marriage counselor any more billable hours. Well, we'll pivot off of that. So thank you. <laughs> hey, so I always found this interesting when you and I were uh, having a conversation, I think probably our one of our first conversations about the podcast, you referred to, you know, the, the lenders and servicers who use the guarantee program as your, uh, I'm air quoting, partners. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, other government agencies or quasi government agencies don't, don't think like that. I mean, I sure as heck hope they do. Uh, but I don't often hear them say it. And, you know, when you had said, you know, you kind of, when you called out them as as your partners, it reminded me of a pretty dark time in the mortgage industry where it felt like there was like an outright assault and any company silly enough to have ever used a government mortgage program. Remember all the, like the national mortgage settlements, the False Claims Act suits during the financial crisis. So everybody was against the uh, lenders and the servicers, but not the VA. And you got to the VA right around that 2010 timeframe where, you know, it was red hot enforcement environment. So I guess the question is how and why really did the VA stick to those with those partners as opposed to what the other government agencies did? And has anything changed given that we might be on the precipice of another, you know, credit or housing event? So I think two things here. One is, you know, VA is a 25% guarantee program meaning that lenders own 75% of the risk. So while we have this, this 25% guarantee that certainly helps, you know, and, and um, as we go out to our, our, you know, the lending community, we certainly want to entice lenders to, to utilize the program and offer it to as many veterans as possible. And we've seen that tie, you know, over and over again with the, with really the strength of the program. We've grown over 650%. You know, in utilization, we've gone from one per, uh, less than one percent market share, you know, to anywhere between twelve and thirteen percent more um, total market share. In doing so, you know, you learn that we've got a tremendous amount of lenders out there that do things the right way and want to do the right things for veterans. Uh, our job is to make sure that we're utilizing we're utilizing evidence based, you know, data to make decisions about enforcement and about training and about and about where we place the onus on on the lender to keep them honest. But for a vast majority of the time, it, it is truly about how do we deliver this product together for, you know, for veterans where it's a product of choice. Not that when I came into the program, it was kind of, you know, where veterans went as a last resort, as, as that landing spot where they could still qualify for a loan, but they had been other places and may not have been lucky enough to, to, uh, to take advantage. So, um, we certainly see at this point where 
we've we've kind of um, changed that tie where where veterans are choosing this program over others, even if they could go to another program. Yeah, whatever you're doing, it's working. Because to your point, I think when you got there, you're right. You were probably in the low single digits, and now there's no doubt it's a force to be reckoned with. And you know, everybody I talk to who's you know, we still advise dozens of top originators and servicers. They echo the same sort of sentiment that you have towards them in terms of that partnership. That you know, as I like to say, it's not patriotism that compels these companies to use these government programs. It's it's capitalism, and you've given them a a predictable and pretty manageable environment to you know cohabitate to work together. Yeah, I think someone said it best. I I heard this. Uh, well, I've heard it a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, and it's about you know it, it, investors gravitate towards. Um, stability and marketability. And as you continue to change your programs uh, and you you change the, you, you know, where the flag is placed for them, um, that creates anxiety and that creates higher pricing and that creates, you know, um, less investors that really want to buy in and mortgage-backed securities that are, you, you know, that are VA. And so I think that it's that balancing act uh, of ensuring that that we are, we're allowing lenders to make decisions when they need to make decisions, but we're also creating this atmosphere where we're setting the guardrails and the guard well, the guardrails aren't changing much. Uh, and when they do change, they change for the right reasons. And we can show those reasons to the community. Fair, consistent, and more importantly, or as important, predictable. Right. Well, that, that does lead to this next topic. And I think you just came from a meeting where you probably covered some of these things, which is, so we all know that the Biden administration is is earnestly looking for ways to create opportunities, you know, for underserved households to be able to buy their first home. However, you know, generally that includes widening the credit box, or in this administration, they're really looking at even trying some new proxies, you know, for credit worthiness, collateral capacity, but but they're doing it during a time where the housing market is clearly peaked and is arguably falling. And probably looking at a recession in late 2023. So in summary, that all seems pretty problematic, to say the least. But what was unique about the VA versus other government-backed programs with similar characteristics is your performance was notably better. So do you have any advice for these other agencies to mitigate some of the default risk in this environment? And I guess as importantly, are any of them asking for those tips? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that one of the tried and true things that have helped us both on the front end of the program, as well as as being able to keep veterans in loans, because you'll hear us say all the time is it's just as important to keep a veteran in a home as it ever was to put them in one. And the reason we say that is residual income, right? What what do borrowers truly have at the end of the day left to make their payments with? You know, it's one thing to use debt ratio, but debt ratio only gives you a glimpse of what's on the bureau. It doesn't doesn't take into consideration all those those other ancillary payments that do not show up, and we think that's that's certainly important to understand long term success. And conversely, with that, you got to look at the strength of, of the veteran borrower has increased over time. You now have you know an average down payment of almost fifty four thousand dollars. You've got um, our veterans that are that are um, have over forty thousand dollars in assets and reserves a highest and, and, and peak, you know, at, at, at this point in time for our program. And I think that if you look at the purchase market right now today, 
you see more and more borrowers that are qualifying for for loans. And we are still doing purchase loans, by the way. It's not that, you know, um, don't listen to the hype where rates have gone to such an extreme that no one can afford. Uh, I think it's, are you positioned, have you positioned yourself to be able to afford? And we're seeing that more and more veterans are putting money down and creating that manageable monthly payment so that they're able to, to, to make wise decisions about how they, um, you know, where they want their housing payment. Yeah, the disposable income is huge. I was just talking to somebody at another agency actually this morning. And I said, look, the things that worry me to death are, you know, DTIs, back-end ratios are pretty darn incomplete. And when you look at a market right now, where if, you, if you've got marginal borrowers that are, you know, have a 45% DTI and a whatever, mid-range uh, credit score sort of thing, that you, um, you're you not taking into consideration the fact that inflation, we all know, is at 40-plus year highs. And I mean, it's it's strangling everybody I know. And I can imagine people I don't know that have a 45% uh, back-end ratio are, you know, treading water trying to keep um, from going under on these things. So, you know, obviously, I think your VA borrowers seem to be in a much better stead than they were in years past. But in addition to the net cash flow test, which I think every lender should be applying uh, in any market, but especially in this market, don't you think that it's also some, is it the affinity? Is it the discipline? Pride, you pick the adjective where the the veterans, you know, find this is, is so critical to make sure that they perform um, and don't find themselves in, in a default under, at least until the most dire of circumstances. Yeah, that is a great point, Tim. And, and I, will, I will tell you, one of the things that people do not know about our program uh, is 41.4% of our VA purchase loans were to first-time homebuyers. And what that tells you is that veterans want to buy into communities. Um, they're not just purchasing homes. They want to buy into the actual community aspect where they can, um, you know, where, where they can uh uh, do other things or that the, they can volunteer and be a part of that community and be a thread of that community. And we see that play over and over again. And which is another reason why we always revert back to making sure that veterans are able to stay in that pro that program, because we know that there's a fabric there where veterans improve communities. And um, because of their outreach, because of their community service, their, their, their need and wanting to volunteer. And, and we see that play out over and over again. Well, you said community. It made me think about, it seems like the lenders that are participating in the VA program share that same community sort of orientation since they're, I mean, you guys obviously have your own oversight, but the lenders are, they seem to be actively policing themselves and their competitors. And the, the policing is, I would imagine, is like lenders trying to protect the, in, the integrity of the program obviously to avoid reputational risks and scrutiny, but more so around the integrity of the program. Do you, do you think that's a fair analogy that how the VA borrowers associate their, their obligations as well as the VA lenders associate those obligations? I do. I, and to, to further prove that point, we have a lot of lenders that, that, uh, that police their own, right? They uh, will bring things to our attention and say, hey, are you looking at this? And almost always I'm like, yeah, we're looking at it, but what do you know and what can you get? What, what, what can you give us? Because, you know, the more and more data that you have, 
uh, the, the more informed decision that you're able to make. Uh, so we certainly rely on, on those lenders and, and the data analysis and the analytics that go into being a, a large lender uh, in, in this day and, and age, as well as an agency, is just far better than we've ever seen it. So you know, our modernization effort has certainly taken us down a path and, and, and we're really excited about the journey we're under and, and kind of fulfilling that data analysis and data analytics need. That's a good time to bring that up, which is, I mean, I know that you and your colleagues are very proud, rightfully so, of the modernization efforts going on at, at the VA. And those seem to be really geared towards improving the experience of lenders and ultimately flowing through to the experience that the veteran borrowers have. Can you, can you kind of take us through where that modernization initiative is and maybe where it's headed? Yeah, thank you for asking. So we're we're about two years into our modernization initiative and what this is, is basically how do we get our stakeholders, meaning our lenders, our appraisers, our servicers, how do we get them from having to come to us and manually and, and um, manually enter information? How do we get our own staff from having to manually enter information? How do we get data by what's called an application program interface, which is uh, basically an exchange of information, exchange of data, and how can we respond to that data back to the uh, back to the industry itself? Utilizing that information, we ha will have access to more data than we've ever seen before. So right now we we review about one to three percent on a loan review cadence every year of all loans that are closed. Think about in the next year, we will have access to a hundred percent of all loans that are closed. All of that data off of off of the loan the loan estimate the closing disclosure um, you know any of those documents that go into that file we'll have a hundred percent access to all of that information and what that information will tell us and feeding that back into the industry basically al allowing our lenders to see how they are benchmarking versus other lenders is going to be paramount and going to be it's it's really going to change the face of of how VAs deliver to our borrowers. Uh, and we think that if we do that, then our borrowers are going to get to see de decreased pricing, you know, better service and a more transparent atmosphere where when they go to shop. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you're, you're again, getting back to you're making it predictable so they don't have to price in for the, um, you know, unexplored errors, right? And the, um, unmitigatable risks that you can't identify that was really a risk in the first place. So you have that kind of cushion that ultimately the borrowers end up paying. So I can see how that would lower their cost. And it sounds like it's your your objective, again, is gets back to driving transparency and efficiencies, uh, as opposed to, you know, some have argued that um, some of the efforts to gather more data on more loans from more lenders is really setting up for more of a, a gotcha mentality than anything truly constructive. Without a doubt, the one part that we're still figuring out is we still do not have access to why veterans are not making it across the threshold. And so this came up kind of uh, one um, in the testimony that I have given a couple of times to Congress about our um, uh, home buyers that uh, aren't able to bid on properties because let's say that there, the seller won't accept a VA or an FHA bid, right? Mm -hmm. So 
getting more involved in how that process works. And then also from a automated underwriting capacity, what are the characteristics that are that are causing veteran borrowers not to get into those loans? And so that we can take those characteristics, take that understanding and increase training in those areas where we need to. Hmm. That's a great idea. Okay. I love that. Well, let me, let me try to lighten it up a little bit. So All right. not that that was depressing or anything, but <laughs> try to mix it up a bit. But so, so you were a loan officer, I think right after you got out of the Navy. Fun fact, I um, was a loan officer uh, right out of college. I know you graduated college as well. Uh, so <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning also, which was like, okay, so, you know, in a tough market like this, like if we were talking back then, like LO to LO, do you have a big move? Like what was your big move? Any you know, like memorable or cringeworthy tactics for getting business from realtors or borrowers? Well, I will tell you the scaredest I think that I have been. And that was, uh, I had a boss, um, a very um, high up in, in, in a company that I worked for. And let's say I got a call from, from him and, and, and basically the call went something like, John, wh- why don't you like this product? Um, I noticed that you, your region, you're not doing any, uh, any sales of this product. And I was like, you know, I, uh, I don't see a need for it. Uh, you know, we're, we're leading, you know, we're, we're leading the company right now in revenue. And, and to be honest with you, my borrowers, they're not really beating down the doors for this product. And, you know, the person on the other end of the line is like, yeah, but we, we really like this product. I need you to, to, to do it. And I was like, I, I just, I can't. And they, they were like, so you're saying you're not going to sell this product. I was like, I, I, I tell you what, I'll make a bet. If I'm not on if I'm not one of the top revenue producers next year, I promise you we'll we'll revisit it then. So I get off the phone. Let's just say they weren't very happy. I get off the phone. I go home to my wife who we talked about a little earlier. And I said, well, I think I just lost my job and I I stuck to my guns, but I I will tell you that I, I didn't make anyone happy. Come to find out, the next year, I'm, I'm standing on that stage and getting a, you know, for uh, for revenue. And he walks up and says, "Thought I was going to fire you, didn't you?" Um, and so uh, that was kind of the joke of the day. But that was probably one of the lessons that I learned when I came to the government is that you know you gotta stand up for what's right. You gotta, you know, no matter how hard it is. And in the government, we see that play over and over again. That sometimes that is the most difficult path. Um, but you got to find a way to get there. Well, it could have been Angela Mozilla because your backside would have been in the grease in a hurry if that was a story that involved him and Countrywide. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying who. <laughs> I'm saying that that uh... not, not goading you. I'm not goading you. Just <laughs> I'll tell you a funny one. So for uh, in uh, so when I was a loan officer in the early '90s, Gulp, I, it was like during the one well, of the first real refinance booms, and uh, I. I think our the guy who owned our company had like three ex-wives. He was padding the interest rates unconscionably high. So we were terribly uncompetitive. And so finally I go into the guy's office and I'm like, you know, I won't name his name. I'm like, hey man, like I'm dying out here. <laughs> like, how do you lose deals on the phone? He's like, what are you talking about? He goes, I don't lose deals on the phone. I was like, okay, take me through that process. He goes, look, just lie to them. Get him into the office, get him to sign an application, yada, yada. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, I don't, 
I don't think it's illegal, but it does feel <laughs> pretty unethical. Oh. And he pretty much tossed me out of, the, <laughs> out of the office and told me to get back on the phone. So yeah, my, my retail career was, was pretty short after uh, that interaction. Yeah, I um, I can't tell you uh, some of this, some others that I have that I've talked to that have gone through that same thing. That uh, goodness gracious! Hopefully, times have changed. Hopefully, that is the that that is true, and I do think you see that right. I mean, it, you know, with the regulatory atmosphere that we have, with the licensing structures that we have, with the um, with with originators. Now, granted. We all can argue on whether or not we truly underwrite files anymore and, you know, th that we have lost a whole generation of actual um, really qualified underwriters. But uh, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, data and analysis and, and those kind of things will kind of help us through that. But uh, but, yeah, I, I certainly think we're, we're sitting better than we used to. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Anyway, fun stories, though. Hey, um, I was wondering, uh, I didn't see data anywhere on this topic specifically, but I was curious to hear what the status is with banks and the VA program, because are they avoiding the VA program like they pretty much rejected the FHA program? And, you know, if so, what, if anything, are you guys doing to kind of lure them back to the program? And I was just like visualizing that if you're a banker, I mean, one of the coolest things I, I would imagine to be able to do is to ask somebody whether or not that they've served, you know, served their country as part of the application process. What What's the status with that? Are, are they in, backed away, coming back? Yeah, I think that they're starting to come back, you know, to, as, as much as they can. I do think that there's still a whole lot of worry and concern from a regulatory standpoint on the, on the, uh, the cost to them that is... Uh, you know, to participate in the government programs. Um, and I think some of that was, you know, what we talked about earlier about that, that the highly regulatory environment that, that they're under. But I will say that we've seen some banks that completely left us that we, we see now creeping back into the top 100, right? But, you know, I'd be the first to admit that most of our top, you know, 2025 are still those IMBs. They're still in, in, in what we rely on. But, but we'll continue to market and hope that they come back in droves and over time will tell. Yeah, no, I'd love to see them get back. Obviously, they, they've pretty much ceded market share to the IMBs who have taken on that risk and really are acting as, I'd say, instruments of public policy as it relates to you know housing and mortgage finance. So I'd love to see the banks get back into it. I can understand the risk aversion. I mean, they, as we said early on, they really did get flogged uh, for... I think most people would argue that most of the issues, you know, ro robo signing foreclosures and things like that, notwithstanding, that you had a lot of foot faults, jaywalking sort of violations that uh, resulted in basically capital murder charges. And it was just too, the bird was just too big um, and too indefensible to the banks, their boards and their investors. So I, I get it, but I, I'd certainly like to see that change. I would as well. I, you know, this, this program has made, you know, a living off of the backs of some of our larger banks, um, you know, through the years. And um, luckily for the program, we had IMBs that have stepped up in the past five or six years, but it would certainly, I would love to see a point where we, we level that out, right? I, I think diversity is good. I think that, uh, you know, a mix is, is always healthy to the environment. And I would love to see them come back and, and, and really 
you know, be serious about participating and offering the program to um, to our vets, because I, I know that there's a ton of really great people that I talk to every day from, from the banks that would love nothing more. So I know you came, like I mentioned, from, um, from an event today that was covering Lost Mitt solutions, ideas. Are you guys, how are you looking at, say, 2023 in terms of overall loan performance or things that you guys, things that are keeping you up at night and maybe some things that you guys are contemplating to make the landing as soft as possible in the event that there is some sort of a credit event in, say, 2023, 24? Yeah, another great question. So we went a couple of weeks ago, we uh, went out with um, what's called an advance notice of proposed rulemaking. And basically said, okay, industry, this is your time to tell us what is lost mitt like look uh, or look like for the industry. Now that's going to take us two or three years from a regulatory standpoint to fulfill. So what do we need to do right now in the next six months, nine months? What are those things we need to put in place? And so we're we're looking at some programs that we haven't really looked at in in years. You know, we have a capability, the secretary. Um, has, has a broad latitude to be able to help veterans. Um, and so we have what's called a refund, which basically is like a VA purchase. And we're looking at that program to see what are the things we can change about that program that will help in the meantime. As rising rates continue to happen, um, we hope that the values will not depreciate in, 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 a, in a rapid pace um, because I think that will further exacerbate the, the default space and limit the options. But as we move into that environment, what are some of the quick wins that we can get? And that's what we're looking at into right now. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you think about 2020 and anyone who bought in 2020 or 2021 is probably at risk of being break-even, maybe underwater. But when you compound that with the, you know, millions of borrowers who uh, took advantage of the forbearance programs, then that, that puts them pretty squarely. If you took out um, let's just say a year's worth of forbearance, you know, that, that means you probably added 10% to your mortgage, uh, yep. 18, 18 months and probably 15% or so to your mortgage. That's where you start to get that um, lump in your throat sort of worries about, you know, what the future might hold, but obviously only time will tell, but. Right. Yeah. Especially when you, when you put them on top of each other, right. When you, if you pay 25% um, greater than market, Right. And then you run into a problem. And, you know, so you go through a PC, a partial claim, and you have all those arrears that are present. What are the what are the next options? And, and I think those are the things that that worry uh, you know, us as well. And whether or not you've had that or not, you know, just in a again, in a rising rate environment, you fall behind. Say you get cut overtime or you get cut, you're off the job for four to six months and then you are, sorry, four to six weeks and then you come back. It's how do you catch up? Because that can, that certainly can roll on you really quickly. Yeah. Yep. No doubt. Okay. Well, so let me think, if we were to close out, anything you want to cover that I that I haven't covered that's you know, top of mind for you guys that you want to get across to folks about the, the VA program, the team, anything like that? No, just that, you know, I tell you, everyone, I couldn't have asked for a better staff to come to work with every day. Uh, this staff is 100% dedicated to making the lives of veterans better. And, you know, there's not a day that goes by that, you you know, we talked about earlier, what are the things that keep keep me up at night? Those same things keep them up at night as well. Uh, so we'll continue to, you know, to look for options for, for our veterans 
to get them into homes as well as keep them there. I still say, though, that the VA loan is one of the cheapest options available for veterans, and it certainly gives them the most protections out of any of the other products out there. So, you know, if you know a veteran, are a veteran, you know, um, peripherally touch one, um, ask them, make sure that they're using their benefit because I tell you, it's saving them money. Yeah. And again, just back to that conversation, just the ability to offer up that question of, you know, whether you've served, I think it's just, it's a, it's a clear bond that was created between the two, the, the app taker and the applicant. So without a doubt. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's close on a fun note. Is there anything, um, I always try to look at things through the lens of, you know, what's happening uh, at these agencies, the interactions with, say, uh, Congress or new administrations. So from your point of view, like, what do you think of some particularly memorable um, events, stories that either happened, mortgage industry in general, or just your interactions with, say, government, different administrations, different departments, any of those things? Uh, of course, memorable was just working through COVID, right? I mean, it's oh God, it, yeah. at the beginning of COVID, just trying to make sure that people didn't run for the hills and forget we had a mortgage, for, uh, you know, um, industry to run. Um, I, I think that we were able to work with a lot of the different agencies, you know, Treasury and uh, FHA and, and you know, Ginny May and, um, and even FHFA, to be honest with you, you know, that... And, and CFPB, right? And, and just keeping the mortgage market alive, keeping it, keeping it going, um, making sure that we're able to, to put loans on the books as well as, as, as well as keep veterans into, into homes. I tell you, not a, not a whole lot of sleep was, was had at those first few, you know, weeks, months of, of COVID and just trying to do that. So I think it's a testament of, how everyone can come together and work together for the common good. And I, I, you know, that that's what I live for. I love the collaboration. That's, that's the, the, the most fun about being able to work across the aisle with lenders and, and our, our partners, as well as, um, you know, our partners on the agency side of the house. Um, that collaboration um, goes a long way. Yeah. Back to partners, right. And value. Yep. So um, yeah, no, I can imagine every day must've been like a, uh, during COVID, I mean, I think it was for all of us for different reasons. Every day was a was a new day of unprecedented events. <laughs> so, Without a doubt, over and over again, yeah. And, and I think it's it's just created some secular changes just in the in, in real estate and mortgage and just society that is just you know again stay tuned for whether it's some of these changes are sticky, temporary, and you know what the long term impacts will be. You know exactly. And I think one more thing to to, to close on is is it's really been a thrill when I came into the government uh, and we were 1% market share, right? Uh, there were tons of times where we were never even invited to the meeting, right? Now, now, now being a, a, the percentage of the, of the overall market share that we are, uh, where people are going, okay, wait a minute, what does VA think? What's VA doing? You know, what's this going to look like across the landscape of the industry and, and how does VA factor in? I think that's been a pleasure to watch. It really has been, you know, one of the, the key, you know, one of the key facets of my job that I've enjoyed the most. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I do see and I really enjoy hearing and seeing the collaboration between the different agencies. Um, GSEs, federal agencies, independents. I think that all of that is great and is long overdue. 
And I'm thrilled to hear that you guys are getting your, your comeuppance and getting a seat at the big table um, because you've earned it and your performance indicates that you clearly are onto something that others need to pick up on. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself, Tim. All right, John, thanks so much for doing this, buddy. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully next time we'll do it in the flesh and see you out there. I would love it. Thanks, Tim. Have a good one now. Bye, buddy. You too. All right. You've been listening to Citus AMC's On the Hill. To learn more about Citus AMC, our company, our latest thinking, visit us at citusamc.com or find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter.